Welcome to the Critical Media Studies Podcast. We're your hosts, Mike Rapici and Barry Falk. Hey, good morning, Barry. How are you? Doing well, Michael. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Uh, so today we are here to discuss uh, one of our favorite things, which is streaming music. And specifically, we're going to talk about it with uh, Marshall McLuhan in the background. And we're going to talk about his famous catchphrase, uh, the medium is the message or the medium is the mass age, depending on your spelling. Um, but basically, the argument implicit in this is that form trumps content, that the form of the media is more significant to us than the content of the media. And so in, in this case, we'd be looking at you know, the streaming platforms as the form and the way that they impact um, you know, our, our engagements with music. But I, I want to turn it to you uh, as, as our resident McLuhan fanboy to maybe tease out the necessary implications of his little saying before we get going. So um, how do you understand the medium as the message? Well, uh, I will try and handle that um, and, and take up my responsibility as McLuhan Stan. Um, the first thing I should say is that um, one of the, I think it's interesting that we can use McLuhan and McLuhan's ideas to talk about streaming music because, just a little bit of backstory, Marshall McLuhan was a professor at the University of uh, Toronto who formed a media studies center, basically, a center of learning at a time when that was a very, very new idea. And his notion that the medium is the message or in a kind of primer on his ideas, he wrote a book called Understanding Media in 1964. And then his ideas caught on and strangely enough, they, they, they got, or maybe not strangely enough, um, his ideas percolated outside of the ivory tower, ivory tower and gained a foothold in electronic media, which was his main subject. And he, um, was, uh, he took advantage of the publicity and the notoriety. And so he produced a condensed version of his book with many illustrations called The Medium is the Mass Age. McLuhan was a Shakespearean. And so he, well, he was a Shakespearean and a Joycean uh, and an English, uh, originally an English professor. So he loved puns. And so he uh, produced a smaller condensed version of his more formal academic text, Understanding Media. And that's called The Medium is Mass Age. Interestingly enough, there are tons of pictures, and that's significant too, because one of McLuhan's ideas, prominent ideas, is that we were moving, uh, and it, it bears some relation to the, the big picture idea about the medium is the mass age or message, that we were transitioning through, electro, through by means of electronic media. Electro, electronic media was transforming our consciousness, and that we were, um, um, and that industrialized nations by using electronic media were shifting away gradually from a print-based consciousness, a print-centered consciousness, um, uh, from an education formed and centered on book learning, and that we were becoming more used to uh, visual cues, images, uh, sight, 
as a as a um, really the power of the image. That's the other part uh, that of McLuhan's thesis that he was thinking that image-based visual cues were were going to dominate learning. So now to harken back to the medium as a message, uh, you're right. It's basically an argument that form um, trumps content. Um, but another way to think about it is that McLuhan felt that our media environment was in itself a thing, that the experience of electronic media, living in it, being immersed in electronic media, and he's ma mainly thinking of television and films. This is the pre-internet age, and to harken back to something I said, what, 20 minutes ago, the one of the interesting things that that about McLuhan, one of the reasons why I'm a fan, is that we can talk about his writings in the 60s, and it's not too much of a stretch to talk about the 90s and the aughts and contemporary developments in digital culture, even though he's not talking about digital culture. But his arguments about electronic media have a lot of legs. That's basically what we're talking about. Um, so one way to think about the medium is a message is that form trumps content. Another way to think about it is, and this is, I think, where McLuhan really becomes a kind of a seer of our times or a prophet of, of our particular moment or had his bead on our particular media moment, is that he understood that the media wasn't just a thing, that it isn't just television, that television and the viewer form a network. He, he was at the, you know, the very early stages of using that language of networking. Computing was, of course, you know, um, the cybernetic age was just getting, just getting jump-started. But he had this idea that, one, television isn't just a thing. It isn't just a tool. It isn't just a means to an end. It's an end in itself. Because A, it creates an immersive environment, but B, that really when we're talking about television or radio or films, we're not just talking about technological objects. We're talking about objects that suture, uh, that hook up. I'll use that. That's a better word. I just got stitches, and so I'm thinking a lot about suture, but sutures, but a better word would be a hookup the metaphor of the network, that these media um, create an assemblage or a network when we participate in. There's an interactive nature to the media environment. That's part of why, why he feels, that's the main reason he feels that the medium is a message because it's immersive, it's transformative. And in fact, the media environment is so strong it troubles the usual subject object binary. You know, it's, it, you don't have a subject over here. You don't have a person over here, a viewer over here, and then you have television over there. Um, he says, no, television creates this hookup, this network where that disturbs its own boundaries. Well, I'll stop. Um, do I, yeah, I so, wanna so see I, if you I, have a comment there. Yeah. So I, I it's, it's, so thanks, first of all. And I think that the um, argument of the, you know, the medium being, an in, the, being the end in and of itself 
is mm-hmm. fascinating because um, you know we're going to focus mostly on Spotify today, just because it's mm-hmm. such a it's it, it's such a you know easily just. Uh, dis- just, it's so visible, um, but I think any streaming platform fits the you know w- would fit in the shoe. Right. Um, so right. my question, and this is something we've talked about before a bit, but if you look at something like streaming music or Spotify in particular, if we're going to talk about the form and the content, the content in these cases is always going to be the songs, right? The podcasts, whatever whatever the, those files are, but the form becomes an interesting question. And, and it, it might seem like semantics at first, but I think it's significant um, in terms of, is that form an archive? Is that form a database? And you know, in trying to distinguish uh, between those two terms, basically what, what we've talked about here is that the database, if we look at Spotify as a database, right? It is this massive bucket of content. Whereas if we look at it as an archive, it is now an organized uh, sort of receptacle, right? It, it, it is this, this container. Um, and if we're talking about this as being interactive, um, then the nature of those interactions are going to depend very significantly on how we conceive of this container. And so- um, I, Or how we use this container. Or how we? I'm not, not interrupting. I just wanted to. No, I think you. I think you're absolutely there. right because so. Because I, I I think it isn't just perception. It's also how we use it and interact with it. Certainly, and so um, you know, the, in in talking about music, for example, right? Uh, an organized music collection. We 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 start to sort of sub. We we look at this now as albums, for example, whereas a simple container of music now just becomes trackless songs, right? And so for me, the defining characteristic of Spotify's organizational system mm-hmm. um, seems to be, well, it's twofold, right? Uh, the one that I think is probably most interesting is the playlist, but they do try to organize their content also in terms of albums, but there's a very big difference between the physical artifact that is the album, whether it's a record or a CD or even a cassette, um, depending on- And the digital representation of the album. Correct, correct. And so, um, you know, so there's, there's that. And I think that Spotify makes efforts to replicate the album because you can call up an album and you can see the track listing usually in the order that it was supposed to be. And then there is a version of the, excuse me, a version of the album art there, right? But you had spoken for some time about the visual significance of media as McLuhan understands it. Hmm. And I'm I'm wondering if, if what Spotify is doing satisfies the argument that you were making that these visuals are in fact interactive. I mean, because there's something to be said about holding, you know, I, I'm, <clears throat> I came into music, my, 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 my baptism into music came at the end of the vinyl boom at the beginning or at the middle of cassettes and it predated CDs. Right. And there is a physical, significance here right the record is big 
the cassette was small, but had the fold out, which was easier to manage. Um, the CD had the little book. In all cases, though, there was the interaction with, there's a physical interaction with the, the visual. Um, whereas with McLuhan and say television, there's the screen and uh, Spotify, if you're looking at this on a computer or on your phone, right, there's still the screen. And I'm wondering if you feel that the interaction is comparable. Is, are these, are these, are the, are these alike enough that the physical artifact that was CD, record, tape, can, can we still talk about those in the same way? Uh, well, you're asking me very important questions and very weighty questions. Uh, okay, now this is where I'm going to, um, I was wondering in this episode if we were going to get the apocalyptic berry. Uh, and the spooky prophetic berry. You're going to burn it all down. We Barry? are. Okay. I think we are. <laughs> I think we are. I was trying to keep that berry under wraps because mm -hmm. I I always try to keep that uh, berry under wraps. But let's just unveil him. Let's let, and let here's him what he would say. Let's let's. It's very bad when I'm saying you know here's what he does. But uh, already I'm having a crackdown in uh, digital media form and in the digital media landscape. No. Um, I, I think my personal answer to that question, I feel there's this pathos to Spotify. And the pathos at the core of the Spotify project is precisely, and what I mean by pathos, it is literally pathetic, as in, you know, um, um, a kind of troubled situation or a quasi tragic situation. Um, when you are looped into repetition, when you are longing for something and you can never achieve that object. So this to me is the pathos, I think what you're drawing to, um, what, you're, what you're pointing out is the pathos of Spotify. I think it is forever, the machinery, the platform is forever gesturing toward a material object. There are all these, there's a plethora. There's an incredible plethora. I mean, that's what the platform consists of. There is a plethora of visual cues and the visual cues are to artists, to albums, um, to, I mean, there isn't that much information about it, but certainly the visual cues are um, keyed toward the albums, toward these material objects, right? But of course, it's a digital archive. The pathos of Spotify to me is that it's always trading on a residual memory of a physical encounter with music that by nature it can never develop. So that's my you know, philosophical, metaphysical, pessimistic view of Spotify. So now I, I want you to, I want you, of course, to say this is ridiculous, but let me add one more thing to it. I don't think it's ridiculous at all. In fact, I think you've you hit don't? the nail. No, okay. not at all. I think you've hit the nail on the head. And, you know, um, I'm, I'm going to pick up on your, I'm going to shift gears for a second here, but uh, the, the, the connecting idea is, is that of pathos. Okay. So all right. I, let, let's shift for a second to this, this notion of the playlist, right? Because this is something that is, 
this is at the center of Spotify, right? This idea that they're going to allow you to construct playlists. They're going to construct playlists for you. And this, I think, really trades on the massive database aspect of Spotify in that we have everything available, okay? But to me, when I think of playlist, if we're going to have this discussion about, well, how is streaming music, uh, you know, what does that, what, what happens when we go digital with our media? Um, the analog for that is, is the mixtape, right? And I was a huge maker of mixtapes. But the big distinction between the Spotify mixtape and the uh, digital version of the mixtape lies in the limitations, I feel, of the physical tape. So I'm for, just to make this simple, I'm going to talk about mixtape and playlist, the idea being physical media as opposed to digital media. With the mixtape, right, you were limited to the content that you had at your disposal. It was smaller. Mm -hmm. However big your music collection was, define the constraints of the mixtapes that you could make. With Spotify, it's a click. You can have anything. So the big distinction there is time, is energy, is pathos. You have a connection to that music necessarily because you went out and bought that music. You spent time with that music. But more than that, for me, <clears throat> is this notion of the, the, you know, the, the, the time, the energy, but that connection to the music. With Spotify, it is click. It is drag, drag, and, drag and drop. Excuse me. Words are hard for me today. Um, whereas with, with the mixtape, there was queuing up the tape. There was putting the CD in. There was advancing to the track. And, you know, I, I could be an outlier here, and it's maybe it's not fair that we're having this discussion about Spotify playlists when I myself have never actually made a playlist. But I remember making mixtapes obsessively. My high school years were a series of mixtapes. And, um, you know, we read the, uh, the article by Acker. What was... Um, uh, I'll, we'll, Patrick Acker. Yeah. Patrick Acker, um, I think. Ta yeah, talks about uh, Spotify being... A-K-E-R. Yeah, Spotify is the soundtrack to your life, right? And <laughs> one of the arguments that he makes is that these playlists are making dinner playlists or doing homework playlists, right? I used to make mixtapes in exactly the same way. This was a tape to listen to in this mode at this time. But man, the curation process was so very different. And so, um, you know, I used to make <clears throat> a lot of mixtapes for my girlfriend in high school. And these things took days to make because you'd be trying to capture a particular moment or memory that you had. And I, I mean, I would nerd out on these things, right? Like I would organize them, not just by mood. And you were still trying to recreate the feel of an album in the sense that you're trying to create this complete thing, this statement, if you will. But then I'd go a step further and I would organize them, you know, track listings so that the first letter of each song would spell something out. And that, you know, leverages the side one versus side two, right? Like I could, call her a dork on the first one and then still tell her that she was special on the second half. And these were things, again, it took time to do this, but it also took time for her to realize that this was there. Um, and I would argue mm -hmm. that in some cases she probably never realized it was there because, you know, maybe I was a little obsessive with the music, but I don't see the playlists on Spotify, the digital versions of this ever being able to accomplish the same ends. And this gets back to something that we had talked about 
when we were talking about Ted Joya's argument about old music killing new music is that the amount of time that you have to spend with music to truly understand it. Um, I just feel that this is a case where form in one sense does trump content. McLuhan's right in the sense that there's the digital form enables so much content and invites you algorithmically to listen to so much of it that you'll never be able to spend the time with it in the way that you would either as a discrete album, right? Or Mm -hmm. as an, as with albums, as you know, building blocks for your own creative projects. Um, So I just, I just don't see Spotify as being able to do that. I think this is a really uh, a, a good example of how, too much creates haste. Well, two things. Number one, I think you, uh, I, I think my point, I, I like to connect my, the point I was making about pathos with um, your point right now about McLuhan, because I think that's a brilliant, that's a brilliant application of McLuhan that I didn't consider. And McLuhan in talking about media um, comes close to saying that form trumps content as I was trying to explain, one of the reasons why form trumps content is because the form of media, media forms, the forms of new media tend to be an environment. They tend to be create uh, immersive environments in which the viewer, interactor, um, agent becomes a part of a network and not just a single free agent, autonomous agent. Your point, Michael, uh, about the mixtape points me to a new uh, way, a new understanding of McLuhan's argument about form and content and their relation. That in this particular case, in the case of the media object of the media platform of Spotify, the content itself in this case is so, it's not just that it's immersive, it's that it's potentially infinite. One has the entire, the archive, in this case, the database is working on an archive that to our minds, to our finite minds, seems practically infinite. In this case, and I, you know, McLuhan didn't have to deal with this, but I think his thought applies. The content is part of the pathos of Spotify is that the content ends up trumping the, the narrative forms in which Spotify is trying to, you know, contain music and present music, but the the sheer amount of content is is makes um, makes that's the pathos of Spotify. It can never fully deliver what it promises to deliver for that reason because of the content. The content overwhelms the form, and in those situations, we are left adrift. Yeah, I think that. This is a, a tricky negotiation here because it's important to remember that you and I are old heads in this, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that it, it, it looks like you're, you know, when we say that, okay, the content is going to overwhelm the form, um, I, I don't know that I, I, I think I understand you. And I think that you're saying that's a bad thing. Right. Um, um, but well, I'm saying it's a pathos in it. Well, I, I'm trying to avoid saying it's a bad thing because I am conscious of my oldness. 
Um, and uh, and I, I'm aware that I have a residual, a very strong residual relation to music that I bring into Spotify. Spotify isn't creating my relation to music. That relation to music long predated the invention of the platform. So I am aware that I am an interloper on Spotify to that extent. So I'm trying to avoid saying that it's, you know, actually using the word pathos is my way of uh, pointing to a contradiction or a tension in Spotify without necessarily saying, well, oh, that sucks. I'm gonna, you know, um, so I'm trying to avoid value language though maybe, you know, that, that might be a futile, that might be in itself uh, a pathetic act that I'm trying to avoid value, but I really am. I'm trying to think of what the, I'm trying to think about the pros and cons of the uh, Spotify platform. But listen, I, and I'll say one more thing on this subject about um, the goodness or badness of Spotify. One of the reasons, the real reason why I'm being, why I hesitate to use terms like goodness or badness or talk about it in, in these subjective terms is because I feel, so now I'm gonna to try to answer the question you asked me a little while back, um, because I made my point about pathos and I didn't answer your basic question about, um, well, so what's the archive? You, you pointed out that Spotify is an archive and a database. And you asked me what that means or what that signifies. Here's my quick answer to that. What it signifies is that there is, there is a lasting constitutive, this is part of the pathos argument. There is a lasting eradic, ineradicable tension between uh, the disparate elements of platform, between the archive, which encourages to do this and the the, um, the database element, the algorithm in Spotify, which encourages those who interact with it to go in a particular, to adopt an, another way of listening to music. Now, I'll try and illustrate this with um, a very quick example from Spotify to sort of, um, my basic argument is that there's a dichotomy that goes all the way down there's a tension between archive and database on Spotify, but that's just like one of the tensions in Spotify. And part of the pathos of Spotify that I'm saying is that you can't eradicate these tensions from the platform. These, these seem to be ineradicable. They seem to be part, they're bugs in the system. So let me see if I can, if that sounds very abstract, Patrick Acker, you refer to his article. He gives a wonderful example um, um, anyone who that anyone who's interacted with the platform can hopefully you know you'll be able to grasp. Prominent on the Spotify platform is the discover function, and also there's a browse function. If you browse, if if you browse, you are turned into Songland. You are presented with playlists you are going to browse genres and you are going to lose your focus on an artist very necessarily. You're going to, this is where Spotify becomes the curator of songs, which become the unit of musical meaning. But let's say you want to discover an artist. Then all of a sudden you're in a chronological story. All of a sudden Spotify provides you with a narrative. Because what you do when you discover an artist, when you discover, give me an artist. Uh, the Ramones. 
the Ramones. How Spotify will present you that artist, they'll present you the residual form albums, and they will present it in chronological order. Now, it gets messed up because sometimes Spotify doesn't have all the albums, and so there are going to be gaps. So, but and the, and that gap between the appearance and the reality, um, like I said, it's constitutive of the disjunctions and the uh, and the discontinuities that I think are bugs in the system. They're ineradicable with the platform. Um, one other quick example: If you say, "Have you ever favorited a song? Have you ever saved a song?" I've not. I I use Spotify the way old people use cell phones, Barry. I, I uh, okay, okay. Well, well, let, well, let me hip you to it. Let me hip you to it, okay? Let's say I, want, I, I like a song and I want to save it. It saves the album. It doesn't save the song. So uh, this is, you just brought up something really interesting to me and uh, troubling, I think. And so we talk about Spotify writing the narrative, right? And, um, you know, it, it's it, and it writes two narrative. It allows you to write two. This is an important point. It allows you to write two narratives depending on your you on how you interact with the platform. And these these narratives are necessarily contradictory. And and here's the thing about that that narrative writing. I think on the surface, it looks really good, and it's sold to us as being really good. Right? You can find new music that you wouldn't have found before. You, yes. And because of the vast size of the database, man, you'll find music that you would never find anymore because all hail the power of the algorithm. The problem, right. though, is that music has always been, to me, has always been a very cultural thing with a very personal narrative to it. And what's happening, so my way of discovering music was I would listen to something. And I would listen to it with my friends and they would say, hey, you'd like this or have you heard this? And then we'd go to shows and you would see um, an opening band that was somehow better than the other band that you went to see. And then you'd go listen to them and you'd realize that these people knew those people. And so it had a very organic uh, series of connections, right? The, the problem with digital music is that that organic nature and that personal relationship to music has been replaced algorithmically. And much like radio, uh, these streaming services are looking to give you something that is, uh, you know, same, same, but different, right? Like it's the same thing. It sounds the same way. It's got the same rhythm or tempo or same sort of, um, you know, uh, content. And so we're going to turn you on to this. That is Spotify writing your personal narrative for you. There's the, the human element of this that makes music special, to my mind, is largely missing. And just like I'm not ever going to create a mixtape or, a, excuse me, a playlist on Spotify with nearly the attention that I would to a physical cassette tape or even a CD, though the CD was, 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 was different, again, because there, were no, there was only, you know, there were no sides. Um, the algorithm is always going to deny me the experience of finding the music because it just throws it in your lap for you. And um, I think that that's a problem. And, and so, you know, um, yeah, I, I don't know what to do with that. And so let me, let me, 
let me ask you maybe one final question to, to, to begin to wrap this up a little bit, because I think, you know, as we've been talking, I've been trying to sort, I, I guess my thoughts have naturally been drifting in this way. And so I'm, I'm still formulating my own answer to this question as I'm going to ask it to you, but where does this leave us in the future, right? If, if, if music, if the integration of Spotify into our lives and the massive opportunities that it affords us given the size of the database and, and, and the, you know, the, the searchable archive that it is, where does this put us in five years, 10 years? You, you, you pick the timeline in the future. What does, what has Spotify done? Because, you know, you mentioned earlier, oh, I'm old. I came into this with my own established way of listening to music. Well, I'm, I'm willing to bet that you don't listen to music the way that you used to anymore. And oh, so I, it, I, yeah, I agree. So, it has so changed it, that. So it has, yeah. it has changed you already, and it certainly changed me. But the question we is... We should say that that is what McLuhan said it would do. That's another way in which we can give a shout out to McLuhan, because McLuhan, one of the corollaries, one of the conclusions to be drawn from the medium is the message, is that there is no innocent or there is no innocent tampering with technology that if one interacts with it, one is changed by it. Absolutely. And so if we've said that, you know, the medium streaming music, what is the message there once it's, you know, even further entrenched? So where, where does this leave you as a listener? What, what does this do to music and our experience of it five years down the road, 10 years down the road? Well, um, I'll answer that question. Before I do, I want to connect with something you, you just mentioned in, in your, um, as you were formulating the question. You reminded me of another, you know, I'm overusing the word pathos, but it's, it's helping. I hope it gives, it's giving me, and I hope it gives the listeners a way of thinking about the platform, maybe that they're unfamiliar with or that they hadn't reflected on. Um, you just, I was mentioning the pathos of, um, I guess, contradictory responses to music, that Spotify gives you a narrative um, here's an artist who made albums or makes, you know, song collections. And this is a way of understanding music and, uh, and a, a kind of jouissance of listening, a kind of ecstatic listening that is just, um, that is immersive, that where music is inserted as part of your practices of your everyday life. And we, as you were mentioning, the playlist and the mixtape was already sort of gesturing, you know, in that in that older technological form, those were already gesturing toward a kind of immersion of music in the category and the experience of everyday life. But anyway, there's a kind of pathos there that Spotify is promising two things and we can't have both. But you mentioned another pathos that comes with uh, along with Spotify that we have lost I think when you were talking about, I, I find it really significant what you were saying, Michael, about that you, you feel that getting the instant convenient gratification for the archive, uh, in a sense, you are be, the pathos that I'm hearing in that is that you, you're being denied or what's being, what's being taken from you is the joy of discovering music, which requires a temporal frame. You need time to discover. You need time to have a chance encounter with music. In the pre-digital age, so much of our encounters with music were by chance, but they were formative encounters. Absolutely. We would 
you know, so that's another maybe uh, pathos that we can associate with it. You know, I'm again, I'm I'm trying not to say this in a in a neg in a wholly negative way. I'm just saying there are certain losses that uh, that a, that are incur because of the 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 new thing, the new efficacy of, of the program. Okay, just wanted to mention that because I thought that, that you know your mention about the loss of discovery moments in relation to music. That's part of the pathos. That's a better example of pathos than the one I was giving, I think. Okay, now to segue directly to answer your question. I think we're already seeing the future in five years. We're already seeing it. The future is, so Spotify, I've been saying, oh, the pathos of choice, Spotify is offering us all these, you know, these, these narratives that don't fit together. Let's face it, technology is governed by convenience. And Spotify is a platform that interacts with users. Users become consumers. They're not just users of the platform. They're consumers of the platform. They're consuming music through the platform. So I think you can already see the future. The future is what's convenient. The archive, telling a narrative, developing your own narratives about music? Hell no, that's not convenient. What's convenient is music as background listening. What's convenient is focusing on the song. Who has the time to focus on relations between songs? You're gonna focus on songs. And if you no longer, if you care about song, in other words, the focus has already started, the future is already here. What we have is a focus on the song rather than the album. The, con the concept that I'm not talking about the physical reality of the album. I'm talking about the concept of the album as songs that need to be experienced in sequence and that cumulatively, cumulatively over the process of time, over the course of time, deliver a meaning. Spotify is trying to preserve that residual, residual way of listening and understanding and interacting with music. It's bound to fail. People are going to focus on the song rather than the artist. So what's gonna happen? Now, and then this is part of my prediction, but my prediction, like all good predictions, I, I say, uh, my prediction is based on a reading of the present. It's not talking about the future. What's already happened? Partly because of the Spotify playlist, which is different from Mike's mixtape. Partly because of the Spotify playlist. One thing you didn't remark about playlists, or maybe you, you're not aware of in playlists, those playlists are motherfuckers. They're mammoth. They're fucking huge, right? They're like hours of songs, right? I mean, they're, they're mammoth inside. It's another example of the overwhelming content that Spotify can curate and therefore provides uh, listeners. And, they, and basically listeners and playlist makers uh, kind of give it back to you on, on the same platform. So, so I'll I, I promise I'm wrapping it up. Just want to say that um, there's a focus on the song. And if you no longer care about the song or about the artist and you care about the song, especially the song and how it functions with other songs in the playlist, then what's going to happen is that one of the other residual containers of music genre is going to fall, is going to fall apart.
In other words, it doesn't matter that, say, The Who are a rock band. If you're just listening to a song from The Who, if you were, and it's with these other things in a playlist, the and that playlist mixes genres, as most of them do, most of the curated playlists do. There's, there's some genre mixing, sometimes extreme genre mixing, but, um, but there is usually, a, it tends toward an eclectic mix of songs. Most of the playlists do. If that happens, what you're gonna have is not just a, a uh, unhooking of um, songs from albums, but an unhooking of artists from genres. And Michael, the future is here. Post Malone, Olivia Rodrigo, Taylor Swift. These are already the post-genre musicians. See, that's their, that's their future. Because if we were already, how do you know the how do you know it's the future? Because it's with us in the present. Barry, I swear to God, you're you're in my head on this. Uh, I you know, so I think that you're your observation about the length of these playlists, I hadn't noticed it, but it makes perfect sense because they're no longer uh, albums, right? We're, the playlist not supposed to-, to And to you mimic. don't have to own the- And you said it, you don't have to own this stuff anymore. Right, it's, it's this, the playlist has really become, I think, sort of the soundtrack to the activities of our lives, right? So right. if I'm eating dinner, then you better give me something that's gonna last me through dinner. Um, you better give me something that'll last me through my homework or whatever it is. In terms of genre, I, I, you know, it's funny because it's easy to look at this and be pessimistic. Oh, digital music is killing the album. Uh, digital music is killing genre. I, I think there's a silver lining to this, though. And I'm so I'm going to be the optimist. If we're going to unleash the pessimistic Barry, we're going to also unleash the equally unfamiliar optimistic Mike. And that, <laughs> and that is you were optimistic in the joy episode, too. You know, I think you, well, you have a history of, of, of optimism. Maybe music makes me happy. But here's here's the bottom line. I agree. I think that it will blur genres, uh, but that's mm -hmm. good because I think that's going to necessarily change the way that the musicians themselves conceive of artists. And there's no longer the need to conform to a particular image. You know, um, one of the things that has marked all of my favorite legitimate musicians, I love a lot of bad music. That's just the same thing on repeat over and over and over again, but some of the more challenging musicians, they like, change, and they, they evolve. And they change radically. And this sort of format evolve, is right. going to give them full license to change as they will. And it's going to relieve mm -hmm. the pressure of trying to record a cohesive album. And maybe mm -hmm. now I can just write really interesting music. And mm -hmm. if that music is co-opted and thrust into a dinner soundtrack, well, that's, that's unfortunate. But, you know, well, yeah. I was going to say, my takeaway from this, though, you know, in, in thinking about this, I have a takeaway, and, and I think that that is that uh, you, dear listener, need to go to a record shop, and you need to buy a record, or you need to buy a tape, and you need to sit down, because I would be willing to guess that the experience of listening to music in that format would be- It's new to you. It's would new, be new to you. I, I, I almost want to use the word jarring, that it's going to be a very yeah, right. different. And the difference, I think, is going to live is going to be tangible. It is no when you have the physical format, it is going to force an attention in a way that uh, streaming, which, you know, it, it is necessarily background because it doesn't require your attention. And so I think that if, the, you know, the medium is the message. 
um, then the message is that technology and digital music has become so fully integrated into our worlds that it's no longer the discrete activity that it used to be. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the old man in me is fearing that that's going to cheapen the experience, but the, the lurking optimist says that maybe that'll somehow also be a catalyst for new and interesting stuff. So, um, that's it, Barry. Thank you again. And as always, this was an enjoyable discussion. And, uh, though I don't think I'm ever going to get the, you know, the, the, the Frank Sinatra Metallica album, um, <laughs> what one can always hold out hope. So, um, thank you. Have a, have, have a great day, man. I'll see you. I'll see you next time. See you next time. All right. Thanks for listening to the Critical Media Studies podcast. To find out more about the show, check out our webpage at criticalmediastudiespodcast.com. Thank you.